Hello all, this is Aaron Wogelanter, and I'm here with my co-host, Rabbi Wogelanter, a.k.a. The Father. And this is Around the Shabbos Table. Around the Shabbos Table podcast was created to bring you our thoughtful conversations on a wide range of topics that a Jew encounters throughout his or her life. Our dream is to share some of our joy of being a Jew by breaking open some of these ideas and showing the beauty and relevancy that are sometimes hidden behind them. Don't be fooled by the name. Shabbos was not desecrated in any way, shape, or form in the production of this show. This podcast is part of the Intentional Jew Podcast Network, a growing network of the greatest Jewish podcast content trying to make Judaism more intentional. I want to welcome onto today's pod my brother, Rabbi Yaakov Ogelinter from Houston, Texas, where although he does not officially practice his title of rabbi in his community, his role is integral to deepening the community's connection to Hashem and mitzvos. His shul, which is called Haimish, is, and I think should be, a model of a shul where they're committed to teaching the next generation of Jews to love Hashem. If you're interested in reaching out to Yaakov um, about setting up such a model in your community or creating chaburas that are focused um, on God and his mitzvos, you can always reach out to him through the uh, heimish.org website. That's H-E-I-M-I-S-H dot org. Heimish. Um, heimish.org. And you can reach out to him to uh, to see how that how that's done. Because it's a very important part of, um, um, of a community and a community building. So he definitely knows how to do that and is a wonderful addition. And we're excited to have him here today. Because he brings some of that fire and some of that love that he gets to spread in his community to, to you, to the listeners. So, um, let's get let's get around this Shabbos table, baby. Welcome, Yaakov. It's um, thank you. Wow, what an intro! <laughs> it's really it's so. Awesome. By the way, I don't think we've been around the Shabbos table with each other, Yaakov. For over a year, uh, way you over have to a ask year. Yona. He'll <laughs> <laughs> tell you the exact date, but yeah, I think it's been a while um, that we've been around the Shabbos table. Well, for me, this is a particular thrill to have you know, two of my children around the Shabbos table. is really beautiful. Um, I'll tell you the. I think that last night, you know, I was mentioning today in one of my shurim that it was a very sad day yesterday. It was just, and we were just talking about it, you know, beating it around a little bit. It was a very sad day, a very profound day. There was a lot that went on, and there's a, a lot really to, to discuss and process. But I think that that for many people, there there was an, sort of an event that happened yesterday, which was which was something that unnerved many people, and and was a was left field, I think, for every person. Those at the Levaya. And and those that were that were watching it or heard about it today, are you talking about all all Levias or one in particular? No, and one in particular. I'm talking about the Levaya of um, Rabbi Dr. Twersky, Rabbi Dr. Twersky, um, which you know you, you go, you wanted to hear Hespedim, you expected to hear Hespedim, you expected to hear his children, you expected to hear, you know, from people that were going to that, that were going to in, enlighten us about a person who we all know about. And and who we're all <clears throat> a person that we all know about, and that we you know we've read his books, we know who he is. We could we could have explained you know who he was and what he stood for, and 
that's pretty clear to everybody. But you know, from the people on the inside who are waiting to hear what they had to say, to give us a, a sort of a, a, a real recap of his life and a recap of who he was. And then I think it was a, a, a son-in-law or a son that stood up and said that um, Zadie said that there were no hispedim and that when we carry the mita, we have to sing his song, Hashia Semecha. So the first bombshell, I think, was most people didn't know that Hashia <laughs> Semecha was, yeah. it was, was his song. But to see them walking and singing, to me, that was more profound and powerful than any Hesped could have been. And it was written that the reason why he wanted that song sung at his Levaya is because he said that that song, Dafka, that song, has brought so much simcha and joy to people, has uplifted people so much that he, maybe perhaps the schusim that come from that song should be malavahim to the Olam Amis. It just, I found that to be so incredibly profound. And and Aaron pointed out to me today that his whole life was about Hashia Esamecha. His whole life was about saving people and about, and really about uplifting the Jewish people. And and what what more beautiful thing could there have been? And and you would have thought, like if I described it, it's weird. It's weird. People are singing on the way down to, you know, you're being buried. But it was so not weird. I just, I, I tossed yeah. it out there. I just want to hear some comment. Super interesting. Not typical. I think I remember when I was in high school and there was a, a levi of a musician in, uh, in Baltimore. I don't even remember who it was. Um, but I remember like guys coming back from the levi. I didn't go. I remember guys coming back from the levi and being like, they didn't do Hespedin. They just, the kids got up and sang his favorite songs. And that was his compositions, a similar idea. Like this is how they felt like, uh, you know, that, that it would be, it would, it would go travel with him to the next, uh, to the next stop. Um, but it was super interesting watching, uh, watching Rabbi Tversky's Levaya. And um, it almost felt like they were dubbed, and, right? Like the, like the, the song was dubbed because everyone was wearing masks and you couldn't see, felt like it was dubbed like one of those Boreolum videos. <laughs> <laughs> This is true. Or the guys with the, uh, the guys. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it was, it was, uh, it was, it was, it was chilling. Um, it was, it was really interesting. And the, the whole, you know, the Hoshia Samecha was, you know, what he lived his life with, like you said, but the Amecha part, right. The fact that the connection that we have to these people is because in the end of the day, we're all under the same, under the same Hashem. And, uh, and that being able to identify that part, how that person, wherever they are, right? Uh, like they say in the Sfarim, the, the Pchusim, the lowest of the low, right? No matter where they're holding, but to be able to identify in them, to see that little spark and to see something worthwhile to invest in um, was what he lived with. So you talk about going into the next world and being a Melitz Yosher, right? This is a person who, during his life, was a, a Melitz Yosher for, for the Jewish people. A person who, 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 during his life, brought so much hope and, uh, and, and positivity into the world. Um, I just want to mention, did he, uh, did he, is he the author of Charlie Brown? Because in my mind, there's some connection. Um, I think that's my memory of his books, the, his, his shelf of, of Svarim in, in uh, growing up in, in La Jolla. 
was that uh, one of them had an interesting cover, and I think interspersed was a bunch of Charlie Brown. I think he has a whole Torah about Charlie Brown, um, probably contained in that book, uh, if I had to guess. But I was probably <laughs> seven years old, so all I remember was, whoa, that's so cool. Like a rabbi doctor wrote this comic? That's amazing. Yeah. Um, it was always on the shelf on our on our table next to Daddy's seat in the shul, in the old, in the old shul. It was on the shelf. There was a yellow one right there. Oh, oh gosh, that. I spent many a years reading Charlie Brown. It was my iron. Reading Charlie Brown during Davening. It I wasn't reading spot. Rabbi so Torsky. It, it had a special spot. It's amazing. It's amazing. He wrote a book, which until yesterday, someone, some, someone put a picture of, you know, some of the books that they had of his um, in their library. And someone posted a picture and it only clicked that he also wrote um, a book called Four Hasidic Masters. Um, it's a small book, the short book, like a pocket book. Um, but in there is a biography and, a, and teachings of the Chose of Lublin. So, um, I picked, I picked that up on, early on in the, uh, in the Heimish uh, library collection, uh, growing. Cause I thought it would be good to have it kicking around. And people told me like, you know, I read through that and it's, it's amazing. You know, it's like a, it was like the next volume of the unpublished volume of Arya Kaplan's book, right? Um, the Hasidic masters were kind of extending it to four more. Um, and I saw the hoses in there. Okay. So I got to pick it up. Um, yeah, people, uh, people, people, we have that, we have that book in our library and, um, and there's many, many important books of his that, you know, I think he was, he was, it's the greatest people that are so far ahead of their times. And you, you, sometimes you only appreciate them really, um, afterwards or when you look back on their collection of work. Uh, but he was he was someone who understood what it means to be a Jew struggling in the world. And uh, I think we're getting as a Jew, as a society, I think we're we're coming either more to grips with it or now we have Ami and Mishpacha. So we get to hear about the problem. Right. But um, but at least like there's we're actually as a as a Jewish society, we're, it's part of our conversation is that people have struggled. And people make mistakes, and sometimes they're very, very ugly mistakes, and um, and they can look very ugly. But the fact that it's worth it to be metapo with those people, right? It's worth it to deal with people like that. Um, it's now becoming part of our conversation more and more, which is a beautiful thing. I think he was way ahead of the game because he understood that a long time ago. He understood that that's what that's what Judaism teaches. Right. That's what that's what it teaches. This is uh, go back to Moshe Rabbeinu. He was able to uncover every single person, uh, what the beauty was in them and bring them the Torah for them for on their level. Right. Everyone at the bottom of our Sinai it wasn't like, you know, this uh, we, we like to think about, it, you know, like rank and file. Like you see like a, a Korean uh, military uh, parade. Right. Like everyone's like in line. But like it was a mess down there at the bottom of the mountain. But he brought the Torah down to them. He was able to uncover that. That's what leaders do. Was able to uncover the beauty in every person. So he was way ahead of the game, and it's uh, it's worthwhile to spend time appreciating his life and his work. Right. So talking about tzitzis, but the um, well, it, there's an interesting halacha. Who's talking comes, about tzitzis? When it comes to when it comes to um, in, you know, when you're in a when you're in a, a basic kvaros, you should put your tzitzis in, and that's uh, the lug the rush. Right. Is not to. Um, not to upset the niftar, the person who who died, um, to not upset them, they can't be mekayim, they can't do this mitzvah now. So you put away yours, not to rub it in their face. 
And, and it brought up this, you know, this sort of my, my thought process was, why do we have our titsis out that we put them in? And it sort of brought up this whole, um, this whole concept and idea of titsis. And it's really something we want to break. We want to break out here with you, Yaakov, um, as well. This, this idea of, of where to put your titsis when you, when you wear them and what titsis signify. Um, I'll break it in that. The halacha is, and it's unclear really in terms of the halacha wh- what you should be doing, but it seems like in the Mishnah Brewer it says that you should keep them, um, you should keep the tzitzis of your, of your tzitzis that you wear underneath, your talus cotton, you should definitely keep it, you should keep the tzitzis out. And there are those that keep it inside and there's, you know, more Kabbalistic reasons to keep it inside and outside and it's unclear what one should do. Um, and I want to I want to open up that discussion of how do you feel about you know where do your tzitzis belong for you, and it's interesting that tzitzis as a whole has become this sort of external sign of how religious you are, of how big your tzitzis are, and what color your tzitzis are, and where you wear them, and how you wear them. It's it's um, grabbed onto a lot of these externals, which. Unfortunately, lots of our Judaism has become, and our ritual has become very external. But if you look at the Makar, the reason why we wear our tzitzis out is because you should see them. And you should remember the mitzvah is internal. It's very personal. This is a personal mitzvah. And yet we take something that's so personal and it's become so you know, externally um, a sign of your religious observance. So any, uh, you can go, you can go either way, but how do you feel about, you know, where do your tits belong? Your tits belong on your body. They belong on your body. What I mean is not necessarily the inner layer, but they, uh, you, you belong to wearing them. And, uh, and for me, it doesn't make a difference if you wear them on the outside or the inside, as long as you're some, as long as you keep them in front of your eyeballs. Um, and you keep whatever the message is of tzitzis that you want to internalize, which the basic message, obviously, like you said, in the Basak, right? That the tzitzis are meant to create some sort of awareness of the mitzvot, okay? As long as you keep that awareness, or if you have other meanings that you find in tzitzis, um, which there's a lot of strings and a lot of knots, so you can find a lot of meaning in it, right? But whatever meaning it is you find in it, as long as you keep that in front of your eyeballs, in front of your brain, keep thinking about that, then you're doing what you need to do, whatever you're more comfortable with. Um, I stopped wearing shirts, so now my tits is going on the outside because I wear an undershirt, it's a shirt on top. Um, look, covered the podcast, I put on a, a sweatshirt. But, um, it, you know, everyone, they say like every, well, they, don't, they don't say, I say like everyone snapped a little bit in Corona, like different people snap different ways. So I just stopped wearing shirts. Okay, whatever. Um, <laughs> Um, it makes it all the more special when you put on your Shabbos shirt though. Um, so, so, so that, that's, I just, I just think that you have to find something in Tzitzis that you can, um, keep with you definitely while you're wearing your talus katan and when you're wrapping yourself in your Tzitzis and when you're davening wrapped in Tzitzis, uh, you have to have a message. I always, I, I like to get things down into one-liners because I feel like we're we're we move through the motion so quickly that if you have a whole Torah that you want to think about while you're atifas, you know talis, then uh, it looks kind of weird because you're you know you have it 
all wrapped around your head and you're trying to untangle yourself for, for hours at a time because you have a whole tour that you're trying to think about. So get it down into one line that you can think about as you're doing that motion because in the end of the day, it's seven seconds, 10 seconds that you're wrapped in your talus. Have something that you can think about and keep that in front of your eyes. That's, that's how I think about it. So what do you, what, what do you what's like your one do? liner for, what's your one liner for, uh, for Tsitsis? My one liner for Tsitsis. My one liner for Tsitsis is like this. Uh, I think that, that Tsitsis in, in the, in the perfect sense are connected to wool, right? Tsitsis are made out of wool, wool, right? And, um, and the wool connects us back to the, uh, the aisle that was, on the, the seh that was on Akedas Yitzchak, right? The seh. And what Yitzchak asked was, Aye haseh laola, right? Where's the seh? Where's the seh? Yitzchak was putting into our DNA a constant search that we go through in life, a constant question of Aye that we ask in life. This is my one-liner, by the way, right? <laughs> You sound like daddy. <laughs> you tell him, you tell him, okay, we want you to speak for two minutes. Two twenty. <laughs> two twenty minutes later. <laughs> and this is, explains our question that we had at the beginning. So, um, and if you were listening. No. Yes, exactly. So this, the, the, it, this IA is, is, coded into our tzitzis in many different ways. This is a Torah that I, I learned um, from Rabbi Nassim. Um, this aye, this constant search is coded into our tzitzis. And when I put on tzitzis, I think of the fact that in any direction I go, the four, the four tzitziot, meaning in any direction I go, north, south, east, west, any step I take, should be a step towards answering the IA. Where is like IA Mikom Kavodo? It's the same word, right? Just searching out, seeking out Hashem. And I think that, you know, it changes your, it changes the way you obviously deal with going to work. It changes mundane tasks that you're doing. It changes interactions with your children and your, hopefully your spouse, um, it changes your, you know, day to day going, just mundane going shopping. If everything is part is flowing into this, every step I take, IA, IA, I'm searching for Hashem. I'm searching, and it's a lifelong search. It's a constant question that we have is IA, and that's for me right now. That's what I'm, I'm, uh, you know, meditating on for the moments that I'm putting on my tzitzis, holding them by Shema. I'm holding my IA. I'm holding my my quest. My, my, you know, my, my ever eternal search, the eternal search of the Jewish people for Hashem in everything. And, uh, you know, that's my, so yeah, I whittle it down to the word Aye, and I ask myself, am I, you know, am I actively searching? Am I being, am I waiting for it to come to me and smack me in the face? Or am I asking the question, Aye, where, where can I find Hashem in this? Where is Hashem in this experience, in this moment, in this interaction? Where is Hashem? That's right now. That's my meditation. That's my main, my main, my main tzitzis meditation. Th that that meditation changes the tzitzis from being an act to, to being something that has a that has a depth with and has a, a connection to God, and and that's what's missing from a lot of a lot of our own. I mean, each one of us 
or Avodas Hashem, that it's really about Avoda, not necessarily about Avodas Hashem, not necessarily something that connects us, because we're we are stuck a lot on the outside of things, and and we're not we're not in this mode of looking for Aye. And I'll tell you a beautiful Misa. Let's say about the Shagasari, that he, the Shagasari was once on a in a um, carriage, and he said to the to the carriage driver, he said to him, "Take me to a certain place." So he said, "Okay, but I'm going to go this way." So he says, "Why why take that route? It's a long route." He says, "Because every time I go through this town, so the people on the sides of the road they they sort of like even wait for me, and they throw garbage at me, dirty garbage bands, and and you know and, and wastewater, and it's just it's disgusting. And I can't. I've tried to get them to stop, and I can't get them to stop. So I don't go that way anymore." Shagasai says to him, go that way, don't worry about it. So they're going that way. Right before they get to the town, the Shagasai tells him to stop. He stops, and the Shagasai puts on his tefillin. And as they go through the town, nothing. So the guy says to the Shagasai, like, like, how'd you pull that off? So he quotes him the Pasuk, and he says that they will see the tefillin on your head, and they will be afraid of you, and you have nothing to worry about. It's guaranteed it's going to work. So the next time somebody gets into the cart and says to the to this wagon driver, says, take me to this town. The wagon driver says, you know, okay, no no problem. And he takes him the short way. Right before the town, he stops. He puts his tefillin on. He drives through the town. As he's driving through the town, they dump garbage on him. They throw stuff out of windows. They throw the most disgusting things at him. He goes back to the Shagasai and he says to him that, you know, you lied to me. So you told me that they're going to see you. They're going to they're going to see you, and the same the name of God is appearing upon you, and they're going to be afraid of you. And you told me elu tefillin shabarish. So I put my tefillin on, and and it didn't help. So the shagasai looks at him and says, "I didn't say elu tefillin alarish. I said elu tefillin shabarish. The tefillin that are inside the head, not the tefillin that are outside the head." And that that story is always always stuck with me. So whenever you talk about things like this. You talk about your tzitzis, and you talk about the meaning of tzitzis and the ayeh, which is gorgeous. It's gorgeous. But it's just, it reminds us that the tzitzis can't be, like you said in the beginning, can't be on our body. The tzitzis have to be in our body. And that's why it, whatever 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 makes you comfortable, tzitzis in, tzitzis out, the ikkar is, is that the tzitzis are on and that you're conscious of them and that you feel them inside of your body. And that's, you know, that, that's a critical thing. I'm I'm curious if you if you you can respond to this, but I, I feel Aaron alluded to it, and I feel that a lot of times, and and maybe you can enlighten us also to 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 what the power of tzitzis is, that that it's it's it seems to be frightening to people. A lot of times, I hear people say tzitzis is you know now it's really only a zecher. We don't really have it's not really a, a tzivoy only because we don't wear garments like that. We don't wear four corner garments. So Chazal told us that we have to wear it so that we don't forget the mitzvah tzitzis. But it seems to be almost like a sticking point for a lot of people. And that, that there almost seems to be like, you know, the war on tzitzis. And there, there seems to be a fear of the, of, of the tzitzis. And, and I was just curious what, where you see that sits and, and how, does, how does understanding the, the inside of tzitzis, how does that help? There's an element of tzitzis that 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 signifies um, that signifies avdos, and it seems to have carried through. Um, you know, like this. What unspoken, do you mean avdos? You mean like a, a slavery to a ritual? 
to uh, I, yes, yes, and it can become that, or it's a sign of I'm in the army, right? Like I'm in the army, and some people at times probably feel a lot of pressure to live up to certain ideals as being a member of the army of Hashem's army, right? Or of you know, call it being an evet or being in the army. Whatever you call it is being part of the group uh, that are there to be uh, Avdei Hashem, um, and and I think that I think that people, you know, it, it's there without ever saying it, and I think some of the resistance comes comes from that. Um, if it's if it's deeply encoded, if if what I'm saying is true, is deeply encoded into the tithis, you should be able to sense it even unspoken, and therefore that resentment maybe to that experience can present itself. I think also it's like another idea. I mean, tithis goes with you wherever you are, right? Um, you know, they say like it's a lot easier to take a yarmulke off and stick it in your pocket if you need to than tithis, right? So if you're wearing them, and it's it's really part of the same idea. I mean, if you're wearing them, it says something about you. Definitely if you're wearing them and it's visible, it says something about you. And it creates a certain restraint. You know, we talk about Sitis being connected to um, controlling what our eyes see, right? And the Sitis is that lo sasura achare, levavchem achare, nechem, right? The Sitis is, is, is like a, it's like a little... It's a little bit controlling, right? On some level, it's a little bit uh, boxes you in, and so much like a horse, you know, when you're trying to put the blinders on, it may shake its head and say, you know, I don't like this because naturally I get to look all over. But what are we saying? What does the guy riding the horse say? Why do I need to put these blinders on you? Because we got a mission. We have a mission, so we need to stay focused on the mission. So maybe like coded into Titus is the same message, and. Sometimes it might feel a little better for our body to be able to, you know, let our eyeballs go a little bit, uh, a little bit to the side sometimes. And so I think that, you know, as people grow up, um, I don't know, I've noticed a pattern personally and, uh, and with other people that I spoke to like this, like you just, you could, you could get to a point where you just stop wearing tzitzis. Like it really bothers you that much. Right. Right, yeah, that's you, what you, I always you experience that? I understand if you're like playing it becomes sports a thing all that you like drop. What do you say? It becomes a thing that you like drop. Like what? Like what you did you like you're from like you're a regular from person. Like it's like everything else is good. But, like you like drop Titus. And it's like it's like this there's something in Titus that says I'm part of it. I'm focused. I'm, you know, there is a there is a, a master, right? There's someone there's a balabira and uh, and I'm I'm focused on the goal. And there's something coded in there that people maybe are, are sensing and feeling and therefore are, you know, not, not doing this mitzvah until they can come back around and realize they're part of, they're part of the team. I think once you come back around, that's, it's a true point. And uh, especially if at its truest, truest form is what you're saying that Risa um, Mosam, that it reminds you of what you're supposed to be doing. And therefore it's, it's much more, um, binding than even a Shabbos or tefillin in, in a sense, because it's with you all the time. And it's a reason some, and even with your idea from Reb Nassim that it's, um, 
that it's an IA. People don't want to live in an IA. They don't want to live in a state of unknown and in a state of, of searching and finding and, and admitting that maybe you don't have everything. And if that's what, that's what you have, that's what your tits are, then that's what, that's what it reminds you of. And it's, um, it almost shows how strong the tits are because the stronger opposition, it shows the the deeper we're connected to it. But I do believe that when you, when you come back to it, and you mentioned this earlier with Corona as well, that you stop wearing shirts and, and you mentioned it, you know, just throwing it out there, but to pick up on it as well, that when you put your Shabbos shirt on, it means something. And it's a process that I think is so important. Now, I'm not saying stop keeping Shabbos so you appreciate Shabbos, but there is an aspect when you try it in things in your life um, that when you stop doing something, you can stop it with smaller things and you come back to it. I personally used to never understand kissing your tefillin. When you took your tefillin off, like, I don't really mean it. And when I was single, I didn't really understand what a kiss was anyway. So what am I kissing my tefillin for? It didn't make so much sense to me. So I stopped. And I stopped to come back to it. And when I when I started realizing what tefillin were and missing that relationship, now I can kiss it. And now I can feel like I'm putting something away and I'm missing something for 24 hours until I put it back on. Same thing as with your shirt. Then you can actually appreciate that it's lekavod Shabbos and not lekavod me looking beautiful because I don't wear it during the week to look beautiful. I wear it for Shabbos. So then you could appreciate it. Now, again, this has to be taken, you know, don't not keep Shabbos to appreciate Shabbos. Um, you can try that in your life. And I think it's a stronger way to come back. And then you ask yourself, what am I doing this for? Can we do it? Can we do it? A, can we do it a different way? Meaning, can we head off the problem by working into our chinuch meaning in the actions? Like, there's always a struggle I have, right? Like, you get kids used to at three years old to uh, wear tittis, right? So they're well used to wearing tittis before their mind is able, possibly, I don't know, before their mind is able to really understand an IA or an Avdos or, a, you know, a Tzivus Hashem. Like, they're, they're well on their way to just doing this by rote. Are we almost like, are we almost doing them a disservice by starting too early without meaning? Or, I mean, I, I, that's a valid question, but on the other hand, the system is set up like this, right? Minig Yisrael Torah. Like, this is the way we do it. We start Chinuch at three. We start with Tithis. So, but are we, do we need to adapt our message that we want them to have as adults to work that in even to the Chinuch? Or are we just teaching rote actions? So I think we're teaching rote actions. I, I would love to talk about this as its own own subject. I think that's the only way to, to, to really teach mitzvahs. But I think we're waiting to infuse them with meaning too late. There is, a, there is an idea to wait for, for until a till child is ready, but I think that, that we're doing that and we miss the mark. And then our kids are, are, are now in questioning stage before they have any tools to answer their own questions. And I think that somewhere around Bar Mitzvah is where that, that the chinuch of the regular mitzvahs that they're ready, um, they're ready used to, the Birchus HaMazon and the Tfilin and, and Torah and Kriyasa Torah and you know all the stuff that they're that they're now picking up and getting excited about. That's the moment to start filling that with uh, you know with some meaning. When when I taught you know you remember the the bar mitzvah club. So I tried. I remember I, cereal. Cereal, yeah. Was there more than that? Yeah. <laughs> I remember donuts. I remember donuts sometimes. Entenmann. Sometimes. All right, different dar, different generation. You got donuts. We we had we had uh, 
you know, Fruit Loops. That's it from last week. Right. But what what we tried, what we what we tried. It wasn't from last week. It was actually from a month ago. But what we tried, <laughs> what we tried to do is to to start to fill the fill in with meaning, not just you know. I only I only worked on the mechanics of film at the very end, and to and to to put some meaning into it. And it, it wasn't it wasn't totally successful in that. You know, a lot of those kids were not ready yet for that, but nevertheless, it, we do need to to think about giving them that kind of meaning at a at a much earlier stage. I wanted to say something. I want to say three things, but I wanted to say about, um, you know, the the, the mitzvah peya is 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 probably one of the hardest mitzvahs they say, and the reason that it's such a hard mitzvah is because it's in the mitzvah of peya that you make an absolute statement that I don't own everything that HaKadosh Baruch Hu owns it, and he told me exactly what to do with it, and I can't touch it, I can't do anything with it, I leave it, I have to stand where the, all the umlale chayim, right, all the, the people that I, you know, perhaps might look at with a little disdain, come through and, and take my stuff, they don't walk out and say thank you, there's no hakara, there's no recognition that it belongs to somebody else, and I just have to stand there and watch this. And I'm watching this because I'm not its owner. That that concept of saying that I don't run the show, that's a very difficult concept for a person on any level. Even a person who's you know comfortable with their observance, that's that's a difficult thing to say. And every single person has a different payer. For for some, it's sitzes. For others, it's a, a diktuk. It's a care in a, in another mitzvah. Valid. For another, it's it's a it's a lulav and esig. Or it's a sitting in a sukkah, or it's or it's even drabbanans or minhagim, right? Um, kiddush kiddush Ivana, right? Is I thought every, you were going to say kiddush club. Kiddush Some club, people yeah. struggle with kiddush club, <laughs> but everybody's got that one thing that when they I'm do a that, yeah, that when they do that, they're in. You know, they, they made the statement that that I I don't own everything and I'm giving over to God, and and I think that that's when we also we talk about tzitzis. That's a thing that has to be in mind, that with this I'm saying that my lavush, my clothing, like you said, I'm in the army, and, and you're identifying yourself as, in, as a servant of God, and that's it's complicated. If it's not complicated for you, that means you might not be thinking about it enough. You know, I'm going to just tell you also, there was once a fellow who <clears throat> never showed up to shul, and the one job is he happened to show up. And the Rav said to him, Shalom, where you been? So he said, Rabbi, you know, you once gave a drasha and you spoke about how we're supposed to be in the army of Hashem. And some people are the generals and some people are, are the, the sergeants. I'm in the secret service. <laughs> Very good. Very good. I don't know. This, this, I mean, we got to talk about it more with this, uh, this chinuch thing, especially having just, uh, you know, just made a bar mitzvah and having a 13-year-old, right? Like, you come to the realization, like, first of all, you come to the realization, like, when I was 13, I thought I was, uh, right? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you realize how big of a loser you are. But, like, like you've got a long way to go. We still have bar mitzvah pictures from you. Don't worry. Nobody forgets <laughs> what a loser you were. <laughs> but I know. But especially, yeah, you look back on it, right? Exactly. But, like, I, but like in your own brain, you're, like, you're in control. Like, you've got, you, you, you like, figured it True. all out. And you're so at the beginning of your developmental stage um, and, uh, and trying to, you know, I took a similar approach with teaching tefillin, um, which was we got to go through the meaning before we even pick it up. Right. We got to understand why this is baked into what we do. Um, 
But my question is whether or not those things, you mentioned Birch Samazon, like that's a big one for me. Like I'm still struggling with it. And, and it's like we were taught to sing a song that somehow was related to Birchas Hamazon, the words, right? Because it ends up being just a series of sounds. Uh, oh, ah, 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 oh, ah, right? It's just a series of sounds that fit into a song, but without any meaning. And the question was, was I just not listening? <laughs> or, or did someone not say it, right? Um, it's always, it always my question. I mean, like, that's my, you know, my everlasting, more than I ate. Was like, how, how did I miss that? Was I spacing out? But, um, but, you know, is there a way to work that in? And I think, I, I, I don't know, I, I'm leaning towards, you know, I, I, like I said before, you know, having one liners, I'm leaning towards trying to figure out what is the, I'm not gonna say the lowest common denominator, right? What's the highest common, what's the highest idea that you can whittle out of Tzitzis that a three-year-old can appreciate and start infusing it with meaning from the beginning? Because we put on Tzitzis to a three-year-old and we say, wow, it's so special. And I think that as a three-year-old, they look at us and they say, you don't really believe that, right? Because you didn't tell me anything special about it. You just put it on and told me, wow, it's so special. I think they see through that. And then, tomorrow, to add- and then tomorrow you told them that they have to wear it. So then it becomes <laughs> even worse than just not something special. Exactly. Exactly. I, I don't know. I, I find that I find that like, you know, you got it. You got to be able to infuse it. The danger, the danger of, um, of, be, of being told things on reasons is that if the reason doesn't make sense or resonate with them, so then they, they, they abandon it. And, and therefore the, the stages, it's stages. The, the stages is, is that this is what we do with Kishmak. Good, you're excited about it, they're excited about it, that's going to last for a while. Then, at some point, it's, it's not this is why we do it, but you know what, what's really cool? When you put on your tzitzis, you're totally surrounded by Hashem. Wow. You, you know, you're searching for a message. I'm just giving you a, you know, a thing. And it, but it's not said as, kid, let me, sit you, let me sit you down and tell you why you're wearing your tzitzis. He's not ready for that. He's not ready to, to be able to process what a why is. But if he knows... Wow, I'm I'm surrounded by Hashem, my tzitzis. He gets a little older, you show him that you know what some people do when they want to remember something, they put a band on their arm, or they put they tie a, a string around their finger. Not it's not so many people do that anymore, but there are other things that we do to to remember things. So the way that we that we remember to always be thinking about Hashem is that we we tie, we, we put these tzitzis on, and that we're tied into something that reminds us. The, these kinds of messages that are told them not as a not, not as a as a tyra, but are almost as like you know like a, a, an outcome a cool outcome of the mitzvah that we're that we're obligated to do so that it never becomes this is the reason why we do it I think the reason is silly and therefore I'm not going to do it you know, so you have to balance yeah, I'm, I'm you have to le- balance that I'm less about reasons more about meaning infusing meaning right, right. so a reason I agree with you a reason you know, uh, you know, you get into the time of the mitzvah and when you're talking, you know, cut and dry reason, I agree with you. The reason goes away, that goes away. But meaning, I think you can go, you can, 
you can impart meaning about things to, to, to kids as well. And that can stay with them for when they're ready to explore that further, but they always have that. And, uh, you know, yeah, I just see it by a lot of mitzvahs. I see it by a lot of mitzvahs that we're doing actions and, and we don't understand or we've never explored the meaning. Not concerned with the reason, but the meaning behind it. And, um, and I think it adds a lot to your, um, it adds a lot to your dikduk in halacha when you realize that the reason they're not just, the halacha is not just there to annoy you, right? It's there because there's meaning inside of that action. And if you understand the meaning, even if you don't think about it all the time, necessarily, right? At that moment that you're doing the mitzvah, you're not thinking about the meaning, but you're more careful because you know there is meaning. And then it spills over to other areas where you don't know the meaning yet. You say, okay, but if this is the way we do it, there's got to be a reason. I'll explore it when I get time. But, you know, just kind of infusing things with meaning. I think this is a big one. So think about, you know, you mentioned, you mentioned Kiddush and Birch Samazan. So, you know, think about, think about your Shabbos meal. Think about the things that you could do at your Shabbos meal that to use your Shabbos meal as a vehicle to, to, to teach meaning without lecturing, but to teach meaning. So you, know, you, you pop a question. Okay, we're making Kiddush. What's Kiddush? Just, and let the, let the, the five-year-old, seven-year-old, ten-year-old, let them, let them say what they think Kiddush is, and then you tell them Kiddush is the way we use our words to recognize and to, and to shape, to say, wow, this is beautiful. Because when you say something's beautiful, you feel that it's beautiful. So you remind yourself at the beginning of Shabbos with your words how beautiful Shabbos is. I'm just, again, you could say, you know, 10 different things. But that just those kinds of things, that's the way you get them across. Not at a parent-child learning thing, you know, because they, right. they're not plugged in. Well, I was going to ask that. When, when, right. do you, when did you find that your children were most, and this is open, I'll ask it with Daddy first, but like, when did you find that your children were most open to the um, not reasons, but the meaningful and being able to impart them the geschmack and the enjoyment that you get from the mitzvahs. When, when do you feel? Did you feel that was at the Shabbos meals? I feel there were open times at Shabbos meals. There were, there were schmoozing times, you know, just conversation times where, you know, where, where you would talk about things and then just sort of weave it into the conversation. This is what I do. This is why we do it. This is how we do it, you know. This is the meaning behind it. I think it's, I think it's got to be more, more casual, and and it's got to be more a part of you, and and that that to me is the most critical thing, that that if you look at your child and say, how is my child going to going to feel inspired about this, and and then you look at yourself and you say, well, I'm not particularly inspired about it. That's the thing you have to work on, because the stuff you're inspired about, they're going to get that, they're going to get that. Unless something else happens to them along the way that that you know, that sort of veers them, they're going to get that. It's the stuff that you are not inspired about. That's the stuff that they're going to have the hard time with. You know, I, I say this over, I don't know if I ever told you guys this, but we lived very far away from a shul, and, uh, and it wasn't a, whatever, it wasn't a particularly um, observant shul. It was orthodox, but it wasn't particularly observant. They had a minion every morning. The Mincha Marev was not even a Havamin in anybody's mind. And we never went to Mincha Marev. Now, I'm not talking about Shabbos. I'm talking about during the week. We, every single day, we went to Shacharis. There were, there were many years where 
before my bar mitzvah, I would go with my father, and then he would bring me to school after you know after shacharis. And and there was you know shacharis was 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 pashit 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 pashit, but mincha marev, it didn't exist. I, I, to this day, I I I'm, I'm totally. I mean, I, I dive in as much as I can with a minion. I mean, as I'm I'm a, I'm a minion person, but that's only because of halacha. It's not an it's not the same kind of emotional tie because it wasn't something that was that was pushing in my in my upbringing, and that's you know, you gotta you gotta process that and recognize that if you want these things, you want anything to be to, to be part of your child, so then it has you also to have really, to do it has to be part of you. It's not a doing. It's a it's a in you know an enthusiasm, a meaning, a feeling, feeling a connection to it. Feeling it, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, feeling a real connection. Yeah. When do you find, Yaakov, that your kids are like the most receptive to that? maybe not even on purpose, but maybe like that your kid came to you and said, you know, showed you that he understands the meaning and you're like, where in the world did you get that from? Did did you ever Yeah. Uh, uh Rabbi Juravel tapes. Okay. <laughs> and uh I know I'm not joking, like that stuff sticks in and for my kids. And uh, and what they hear on Nucky Radio, they're constantly telling me, oh, you hear that story about uh, this rabbi, this and this rabbi, and they know all the details and everything. It's amazing. But it's me- um, and it's meaningful they- to them. Right. And it like, yeah, it's they, they connect to them. it. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And, um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, basically, a, a lot of times those opportunities come at the, um, or the, your kids are watching when you least expect it, they say. Right. Um, and, uh, they learn, I don't know, there's some line, I don't know, some cool line about, they learn the most from what you didn't want them to learn or something like that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you have to work on yourself and your relationship with mitzvahs and with, um, Avodah Hashem. I think, I think you have to work on it to a level where it's just bursting out of you and your excitement and involvement is just flowing forth. And that's a constant, you know, a constant struggle because you yourself are allowed to have up days and you're allowed to have down days and you're allowed to have feel times where times of your life where you're really into it and times of your life where you're not, you're allowed to, but um, for the benefit of your kids, you better have some up times um, because they're going to, they're going to, they, they need to learn from those times, right? When you're feeling like Shabbos is, is you are so happy that Shabbos is here because you get to connect to the creator of the world, like work on that idea and let that flow out of you when you sit down to the Shabbos Suda. And don't let anything get in the way. Because those times, those Shabbos is when you feel it the most. <laughs> that's when you get home and the toilet's busted, right? You get oh, home yeah. Friday night from shul and, <laughs> and the toilet's leaking onto your dining room floor. It's that Shabbos. It's obvious, of course. Obviously, uh, you know, the uh, the powers that be, the Sahara knows that there's a tremendous ability to to have great times. And he knows that those are when he's gonna, when he's going to attack you. Right, and that's when he's going to attack you. Um, they talk about that by Sitzis also, right? Just to bring it full circle. You know, they talk about Sitzis. The Gemara says that the Rabbi Yochanan called his clothing Mechabdusa, right? right? That so your clothing is connected somehow to revealing Hashem's kavod in the world. Something about kavod, and your own kavod is really really reflect a reflection of Hashem's Kabo, the beauty of the human being and the beauty of our existence is really a reflection of Kvot Shemayim, right? If that's our goal here is to be Marbek Kvot Shemayim. So, um, and, and the fact that we're Tzalem Elokim as well, right? So, um, so the, your tzitzis is your, is your Jewish clothing. It's like your clothing perfected, right? 
It's like the perfect clothing. Everything else is the styles. It comes in, it goes out. You know, it's the seasons. I wear this, I wear that. But what's like the perfect clothing is Tzitzit. So Tzitzit has to be this, you know, it has to be this experience. It has to be something that you're connected to. And that's, you know, if you are, then I think you can impart that even without saying anything, you can impart that to your kids. Um, They see it's important to you. You know, what's amazing to me is, is that I don't ask this question, when's the time you think your kids are the most open? And and I have to, you know, I hedged a little bit only because I don't remember many times where I pontificated to you, where I told you, and any of the kids where I told you, you know, this is, this is what we do. Like, like to give you a lecture about things. But, but I think I got became, a lecture about, about beating up my brother one time. No, that's the, <laughs> I got that a was lecture pushed. about that. <laughs> I was, I mean, that was possible. They never told me they gave you that lecture. <laughs> <laughs> but, but what would happen is, is that, you know, as you guys became adults and then you would say things to me like, you know, like you, like you always said dad or, or you was, and I'm thinking, when, when did I say that? But, but, but you got what you learned and, and the things that you, you know, that you one day will say in my husband about the things that you got from your father, 99% of those things are not necessarily things that I lectured to you or I told you in straight up, but they, they're things that you learned from me and from the way I comported myself in, in my midst observance. And I think that that is our most, like, give me exactly what you just said. I can say it beautifully that that is the most important thing. You have to feel it. And when you feel it, it runs through you and the words shape inside of your children. Amazing. Well, you see that this, it's like not such a simple, um, a simple thing that sits us that you wear and where you wear and where you wear and, uh, where you put it. So it's a, uh, there's definitely a lot to unpack here, and I think we hope we hope to have brought you guys something um, that's useful. And you see how when we talk about chinuch, we're, we don't just I, I'll, I'll let you in, Yaakov, in a second. When we talk about chinuch, we're not just talking about the chinuch of your children. We're also talking about the chinuch of yourself and how to um, how to teach yourself to do a mitzvah. And and these same concepts that are so difficult to understand, like how do I teach my kid? It's also in teaching yourself. And we should always be in that state of IA, of looking, of finding. Um, so, Yaakov, you can pull this full circle once again. Oh, no, I was just going to say that we didn't even get to talk about Tchelas. So we'll have to come back together and talk about Tchelas. <laughs> At another time. Thanks a lot. All right. 